Hello and welcome to the official IAAF Diamond League podcast. We have just had two incredible back-to-back meets in Monaco and in London. Here's what's coming up in this week's show. First of all, we'll hear from the Olympic, World, European, Commonwealth and Diamond League champion Greg Rutherford, who won the trophy back in 2015. You'll find out where those medals all sit in his cabinet. It clearly meant a lot to the long jumper to say goodbye in the stadium where he took that gold medal at London 2012. I am an emotional individual. I find it very easy to cry at things. <laughs> Another person who's had success in the Diamond League, of course, Curran McMaster, the 400 meter hurdler, the defending champion. Well, he'll have to go some if he's to challenge, or indeed anyone is to challenge, Abdurrahman Samba. Diamond League record after Diamond League record. It was Carsten Varholm who won in London, but the 400 meter hurdles has been a fabulous event this year. And McMaster himself says he owes a debt of gratitude to Samba. After seeing Samba, like how he ran in, and then he dipped under 47. He showed me like, yo, like track and field, in, especially in the front taking a turn. Well, both of those are to come, plus a quick roundup of some of the highlights from Monaco and London. Now, there aren't many better places to start than a new world record. We will see this field spread eagled over the uh, early laps if they do go out at around 8.51 tempo. Watch the clock. This will be surely a huge world record. It is 8.52.78, the time she's chasing of Ruth Jabet. Chep Kovic comes down the straight, nearly there now, watch the clock, 8.44.33. She's broken the world record by over eight seconds, about eight and a half seconds, ripped off the old world record. It's only two years old, but that is one of the most astonishing middle distance world records I've seen in quite a few years. As commentator Tim Hutching said there, Beatrice Chepkoech, the Kenyan, didn't just break the steeplechase world record last week in Monaco. She beat it by eight seconds. And to show how impressive that was, Courtney Freyrichs, the American, was some 16 seconds back, running nine minutes, 0.85. But that's still an American record in the steeplechase. It wasn't uh, all too dissimilar a story in London where Jenny Simpson managed an American record in the mile, some way behind uh, Sifan Hassan, who won the race, the Dutch athlete, with the third fastest mile of all time, 4 minutes 14.71. So women's distance racing went pretty crazy. And then in the men's 800 metres in Monaco, first of all, Nigel Amos of Botswana, part of a race with incredible pace, coming out with a time of 1 minute 42.14, the fastest time in the world since 2012. But by the end of the weekend, we'd seen Emmanuel Career running 142.05 in London. For Nigel Amos, though, a wonderful comeback for the Diamond Trophy winner last year. And talking of comebacks, Shelley-Ann Fraser-Price returning after giving birth. Here's what she did at the London Stadium. 
Away they go. Fraser Price is already half a metre behind. Brian, Brian has started very well indeed. It's these two going strike for stride. But look at Shillian Fraser Price rolling back the years. My word, 10.97. We said she would get quicker and quicker. We said she would go sub 11 seconds. She's done both those things and she is absolutely delighted. Shellyann Fraser-Price racing here in London for the first time as a mother. Little boy Zion will be looking on somewhere, I'm sure, looking at his mother, do what she does best. She didn't get the best of starts. Bryant, as she did in the heat, got out of the blocks with a flyer, but Shellyann Fraser-Price gradually reeled her in. And Shellyann Fraser-Price, at the age of 31, is back to winning ways. Absolutely incredible stuff for uh, Shelley and Fraser Price. And I was watching that race uh, with another highly decorated uh, sprinter and long jumper, Tiana Bartoletta, the Olympic and world champion. And she was watching that in disbelief, saying she's just had a baby. Incredible scenes and uh, a great, great victory. And uh, on the men's side, Christian Coleman, of course, stormed to uh, beat Ronnie Baker in Rabat. But Ronnie Baker and Noah Lyles have really been the men to put on a show in the Diamond League in sprinting terms this year. Lyles ran a lifetime best of 19.65 in Monaco over 200 metres and it seems like he's just continually improving all the time. Who knows, there could be another big drop on the way. In London, in the men's 100 metres, Baker came out with another 9.90 to get his fourth Diamond League victory of 2018. And he seems to have incredible consistency in running times between that 9.88 world lead and uh, and 10 seconds. Coleman, hopefully, will see back to full fitness, competing alongside more regularly. Then that rivalry could really develop. Elsewhere, in the women's 400 metres, a really impressive duel between uh, two women who are very excited to see a match-up between Salwa Eid Nasser and Shawnee Miller-Webo. Bahrain against the Bahamas and uh, finally we really got to see that. Shawnee Miller-Webo won the Diamond Trophy over 200 and 400 metres last year. Sawa Nasser, still 20 years old, has really done the business this year. Huge personal best of 49.08 for Nasser and 48.97 for Shawnee Miller-Webo which uh, moves her to number 10 all time. We also saw a world lead in the women's sprint hurdles, of course. Again, the stadium where the world record was set by uh, Kenny Harrison a couple of years ago. 12.36, beating Brianna McNeil by 0.1. That's what happens when you put two seemingly really fast tracks and uh, stack fields of athletes. London also saw some victories for some of the real kings and queens of the field events this year. No doubt, of course, that Sandra Perkovic, the Croatian discus thrower, is going to be one of those. Discus queen is, after all, her name on social media. Maria Lasitskena, 2 metres and 4, equaling a world lead in the women's high jump. But there the story was uh, Elena Valotigara, the Italian, going over 2 metres for the first time, clearing 2.02 behind Lasitskena. Incredible roar from the crowd when that happened and then the Kings Manyonga Luva Manyonga South African long jumper 8.58 for him in a very strong field and uh, Sam Kendricks winning another fabulous men's pole vault competition 5 metres 92 his best in a discipline that featured uh, Renault Lovillany jumping 
5 meters 86 a better competition for him this time around and uh, an opportunity to celebrate France's recent World Cup win, why not? I suppose when you are the world record holder you can pretty much wear what you like. Let's go now to uh, our first interview of this uh, episode of the podcast. We're going to hear from someone who's really won the hearts of uh, long jump fans, someone who's an incredibly genuine person to, to speak to, someone who seems to wear his heart on her sleeve, saying in that clip earlier on that he's a bit of an emotional person. Sometimes it gets to him. Well, Greg Rutherford had an opportunity to say farewell, if you like, or goodbye for now to the fans that have really supported him through all of his major titles. The London 2012 Olympic gold is probably what he's best known for, but boy does Greg Rutherford have a whole host of achievements to be proud about. He's been speaking to Kit Holden. Before the 2012 Olympics and the build-up to it, you were obviously thinking you were competing for a medal as an athlete, but did you ever expect that you would sort of win the hearts of people in the way that, that you didn't become such a recognised face and such a, such a public figure on the back of that Olympics. It's a really strange thing because obviously, yeah, in, in the build-up to, to London for me, I went in as world number one, but still a completely unknown entity by everybody else external to it. Unless you were a die-hard athletics fan, you had no idea who I was. And actually, because I was in between two of the greatest ever with Jess and Mo, it meant that Effectively, I was brought along the ride with those guys. Because if, if I had been on any other night, I think I would have been a bit of a footnote in history as another athletics gold medal, opposed to what it's become, which is the Super Saturday evening. So without that, I would never have been in the situation that I'm in. So I'm eternally thankful to Jason Mo for also performing, um, because otherwise, I think people have forgot. What I think what, what a lot of people forget as well is that there was 29 Olympic gold medalists in London. Now, I knew very early on that not many of them would be remembered, so I have to do whatever I can in order to stay in the forefront and forefront of people's memories in particular. So I did what I could in order to do that. And as I say, if it wouldn't have been for, for London, I wouldn't be in the situation I am now. There would be no sort of farewell tour that I'm sort of having now in these last few competitions. I'd have probably retired last year or so, and that would have been that really. So it's lovely to be in the position that I'm in due to such a wonderful night in London. How fresh in your memory is, is that night? Is it, is it snapshots? I mean, do you remember the DF31? Do you remember the jump itself every stride? Or is it, is it more kind of hazy images? It's a funny way. If I sit and think about it properly, then I can piece the day together and, and remember certain things and other things start popping to my memory. What I really like is talking to other people who were involved and their memories of it. It's like when I talk to Dan, my coach, he reminds me of certain things. It was like to try and control my emotion during that competition. He was like pointing out things in the crowd and I would like look and laugh or whatever else. And I'd forgotten entirely about that. And, and he reminded me of it recently. And I suddenly went, oh yeah, I forgot you'd done that for me. And he was like, well, you had to keep your, your sort of emotions in check. You were getting quite excitable at times. And having somebody like that was hugely important. And, and he has been by far the biggest influence in my career, the, the reason that I won what I've won, and without him, I most certainly wouldn't be here now. Um, he really has done everything he could to maximise the potential that I, I've had to succeed, and he's also sacrificed an awful lot. And his health in recent years, following me to China for the World Championships in 2015, ended up meaning that he went down with a very nasty stomach problem. So. I'm eternally thankful to Dan Paffin and he's done for me. Um, he is and is known by most as one of the greatest ever track field coaches. And I, I tell everybody that will listen how good he is. It's a shame that he's not going to be coaching as much as, as he used to because 
the more athletes that work with something like that, the, the more success they'll have. It truly is incredible. I was going to ask anyway about obviously the Olympics is the defining moment of your career, but were there any before uh, that you would say as we were sort of turning points? Perhaps it was it was starting working with Contact. I, I think definitely. Working with Dan in 2009 was most certainly a turning point for my mindset of the sport, how to approach it, how to be a professional. His understanding goes to a whole new level. His understanding of the human body, how it works, therapy as well in the, in the way of how to make it move correctly, his coaching methods, his ability to constantly adapt meant that I learned to adapt and became a better athlete. So meeting him was was an incredible turning moment within my, my career to, to get me here. But I think when I look back at times where I realised that actually this was the sport for me is 2005 is a big moment for that, winning the European Junior Championships, jumping a distance which was at that time very impressive for a junior. That made me realise that I had the ability to go on to the world set stage. Whether or not at that point I realised I could go on to be as successful as I have been, actually if at that point you'd say I'd be a five-time major winner, I think I probably would have, would have laughed and, and not believed you. But that was a moment where you think, okay, yeah, I can now, this will become my job for a while and see where it goes. You talk about 15 being, I mean, obviously for Beijing, but I mean, how important was winning the Diamond Trophy in that year to you? How important, what did it mean to you in that year? Winning the Diamond Trophy was massively important because that was, in my eyes, it's still it's sort of a bit of a major in a way, but it's, it's done completely differently. Obviously, on the day, it's whoever can jump the best to win the World Champions, the Olympics, etc. But with the Diamond League, it's who is the best jumper overall that year. And in my case, and in that year, it was me. And, and I was determined when I won in Beijing to get straight home in order to prep for the Diamond League final because I saw it slightly on par with backing up the World Championships because it was one of those strange scenarios. Again, it was I won in the World Championships, particularly the Americans. Now I think they'll, they'll agree with this. They were like, oh well, we'll now beat him in the world with the, the, the um, sorry, Diamond League final because he shouldn't have won at the World Championships. And then I beat them again. And I was so proud of doing that because that's not easy to do. From the highs of winning a, a major championships, for a week later to then go and beat them all again, when they were a bit more rested, had a bit more of, of gritting their, in, in their eyes in order to try and beat me, it was, it was really, really impressive to be honest. And that was a massive, massive part. And that, that trophy takes sort of centre stage in the in all of the trophies that I've got in the cabinet because I'm really proud of the fact that in 2015 I was by far the best long jumper in the world and I proved it every week and I, I think I proved to any doubts that I'd ever had previous that actually I am one of the best of my generation and, and that's something that I'm very proud of and that's what I wanted to be remembered as for my generation one of the best and I think I managed to do that. You've pretty much answered what would have been my last question, which is uh, where does your gold medal, Olympic gold medal, and your several gold medals and well, uh, the Diamond Trophy live? Well, you? this is interesting actually. So the Diamond Trophy lives separately to the medals. The medals are in a safe. Mm -hmm. um, the trophies, and I can't imagine anybody's going to run off the Diamond Trophy. It's big and heavy. Anybody's <laughs> never lifted one, but they are big, heavy pieces of kit. They're amazing. Um, I was really, I remember when I first got it, I was like, blimey, this is a big old thing. I loved it. Absolutely loved that, that um, trophy. So they had their own display cabinet, all the different trophies from different meets and things. But the medals, they are themselves hidden away. Um, and I never really see them, to be honest. I think I've looked at the Rio bronze medal once or twice. The Olympic gold medal, I've not seen it in an absolute age. So um, I think now I'm retiring, I'll, I'll maybe get them out of there. trying to prove it. I, remember, I was good once, um, <laughs> just to try and reinforce that with people. But with my youngest son, I was sent to Susie the other day, it's quite sad in my life, because 
he will never know me as the jumper. Milo sort of, if you ask Milo, my, my oldest son, what I do, he's like, I don't jumps. With Rex, he would never know that. Thankfully, we have YouTube. Greg Rutherford uh, admitting that uh, the European Championships too much of a stretch for him. He has had some real injury problems this year, but uh, hopefully he will be able to compete a couple more times. Now, from a British athlete to someone from the British Virgin Islands, Curran McMaster, 21 years old, Commonwealth Games champion over 400 meter hurdles, and the Diamond Trophy winner last year. An absolutely explosive talent who's uh, been through a lot. Tragically, he had to deal with the death of his coach last September during Hurricane Irma. And uh, you'll hear him reflect on how it was to go through that and uh, obviously come back to win the Commonwealth Games after having to change trainers in the most unfortunate of circumstances. But he's bounced back. He's an exciting character. And you can hear all about him in this interview with Tom Byrne. Tell me first of all how you got into this great sport of athletics and in particular 400 metre hurdling. Um, well, athletics mainly, because um, it, it has nothing much to do when you're back home. Say you're just like an after school hobby, something we just do, run, you know. Um, 400 hurdles, um, it's just a joke. It was just like, man, let's go try the 400 hurdles. And then we qualified for the Curifta Games. <laughs> and then we went to the Curifta Games. We won our bronze medal. It was like, okay, okay, we, we see you pretty good in this. Let's roll with it. And my career just took off from there. Yeah. And did you study in the States? Am I right? Uh, I did one year at Central Arizona College. Okay. And then after that one year, I went professional. So straight onto the pro leagues? Yeah. And it, you've already achieved so much in such a short amount of time, but. What we wanted to ask you, of course, is what you would maybe consider your defining moment on or off the track. So, what would you what would you say it is? Off the track. Off the track. I would say it's when I bought my first truck. <laughs> Cause I'm into heavy machinery, so heavy equipment. So it's when I bought my first truck. I was like working really hard for it. That was before I professional. It was like I was really working hard and still running track. So I think that was a big accomplishment for me at that age. I think I was nineteen. I think I was no twenty. Yeah, 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 I was 20. So you've only had it for, for a, a year. Yeah. How long did you have to save up for? Probably for like eight months. Yeah. I was working really hard. So I was like in and like walking, like I would wake up four o'clock, actually three o'clock, go training. After training, go walk. After walk, back to training. I, I like to keep my hands yeah. Yeah, active. What were you working as? A lot of stuff. Uh, transporting trucks. Um, I was into road. We was putting on the tire. Right, okay. Yeah, I was doing On that. the black stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing all those good stuff. Um, delivery, if you needed something, we bring it to you. All those type of stuff, man. We was doing anything to make money, basically. Yeah. My father basically teach me from young that in life, don't depend on nobody. And whatever you need, you have to work for. Like, it ain't gonna come easy. So, like, from four, four years or five years, or like working construction with my father, like, just handing him bricks and shoveling dirt and stuff like that so from young i walk in i know my way around the field and stuff like that so hard work never been something that i've been afraid of i born into it mm. and so i just know how to do it so if you define a moment off the track is buying a truck yeah when you think on the track on the track winning zurich diamond league the diamond league trophy last year because i um got disqualified at world champ so everybody was like this boy when it comes to really training at the time you need to throw down, he can't really stand up. So basically regain myself after that. Yeah. Tell me, did, when you went into that race in Zurich, did you have that London experience playing on your mind? 
Now I actually forget about the London experience. Like those kind of stuff, that's negativity. We don't bring negativity where there's positivity. So zero cost positivity that the fact that we got in because we was waiting until actually someone dropped out, then we got in. So it was like, okay, well, this is what we're gonna roll with, let's do it. So we went in there with our positivity. I was scared, but at the same time, like I already made it this far. Even if I come second or last, I made it to the Diamond League finals. Much people don't get to say that. So, what do you like about being on the Diamond League circuit somewhere like Zurich last year? What What does travel yeah, kind the, of shown you? The travel, I, I love the traveling. Like a lot of people jealous right now that I get opportunity to travel and meeting a lot of different athletes. Like I actually try to reach out to different types of athletes to get uh, professional standpoints and veteran standpoints and legend standpoints in terms of how. Sh- how should I go about doing this or should I go about doing that to get different standpoints from everyone and actually building my own thing because to achieve you could achieve success a lot quicker if you get help from other people I learned that so basically like I would ask like world champions past world champions and stuff like that like advice and stuff like that so the circuit I used it to my advantage as much as possible is there any particular piece of advice that stands out that you've been given I would say it's from my cousin. Like this head, it, it'll, it'll rain on my memory a lot. He, he always tell me, win, lose, or draw, you're still the best athlete out there. That, that's why he did tell me, like, win, lose, or draw, because I don't feel there's another athlete out there that has accomplished what I've done for my country. I don't feel no other athlete has done a major impact like what I did. So, yes. Yeah. Well, and you won the Commonwealth title earlier this year. Mm-hmm. What was the reception back? at home like mad love they show me mad love like you ever went into a situation where everyone just showing you love that's exactly that times 10 like we went home Mr. McMaster Mr. McMaster let me get get a picture let me get an autograph please I could hug you everything that's how it was when we went back home so they show me mad love even to this day if I fly home they show me mad love still since that's why I excited to go back home every time when I go home it's mad love where were you based through the summer? Last year, we was running a couple meets back to back. We was based in London. Right. But this year, the only meets I had back to back was Paris and Lausanne. So we just went from Paris to Lausanne. Then after this, I go back to South Carolina. That's my initial base. Right. I train at Clemson University. Okay. After that, we just fly back to the States or, I mean, Europe or whatever the case is. And we've seen in the 400 hurdles this year, Abdus Samba has just had such a sterling season. He's, I think he's run under 48 seconds five or six times and obviously ran so fast in Paris. Actually, I have to thank Samba for a lot because you could ask many people, like, they, they tell me, yo, you could break the world record, like, but I was small-minded. Then I was like, this dude only ran the world record 46 and then that's it. Like, he didn't run 46 again. So in my head, I was like, I want longevity. I don't want to run a world record and then I can't run again. Mm. Then everybody be like, oh, you trash. Yeah, stuff like that, you know? But after seeing Samba, like, how he running, and then he dipped under 47, he showed me, like, yo, like, track and field, in, especially in front of the road, taking a turn, and you on that train, like, so you need to, like, actually, like, just stay focused and continue doing what you're doing, and there's no reason you shouldn't be following the same path that he has chosen as well. So I have to thank Samuel for a lot. He like opened my mind to a lot of stuff. Like the world record wasn't on my mind, possibly mainly because I had switched coaches due to the incidents. Um, how I processed it is that, you know, it, it happened off season. 
No, I got that. It happened. We know what you mean there. Because yeah. I was able to attend to it more and actually recover in a more serious manner and actually address the situation and understand the situation and forgive the situation to move on with the situation. Whereas I feel if it had happened in season, it would have impacted me differently. But with that, it just like, it showed me, my father always tell me this story. I can't remember the story in the Bible. I can't remember the story now. It's when he was saying something with, I think Jonah or some one of them had a path and somebody didn't make it to the path. And he was asking God, why God, why I am just journey or something so and my father always tell me that I am um, on a path and certain people supposed to get you to a point but I don't mean they can reach the final point with you so I was just saying okay well coach exposed me he got me to this point and unfortunately that was his stop now it's time for me to attend with this coach and get to the next um, point and we see which point that, that takes me to. Is there anyone else back at home that's now looking into the four hurdles as the event that they want to compete in? Yeah, I think we have two male athletes that train to compete in the 400 hurdles. I think that's something good, like everybody, like especially not only in the Virgin Islands, but I feel like a lot of people, when they start track, the first thing they do is, is like, I want to run 100. Like everybody, you have to branch out, you have to find like, What's your calling? Like, what's your better event? So I'm glad that they actually like branched out and said, "Well, if Karen could do, it, let's do." It. And I see they have great potential, so I really to I'm willing to help them with whatever they need. You're the champion. They're coming at you now. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Nice one, Karen. Blessing. Karen McMaster, who uh, we found out off mic before that interview, is a fan of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, Commonwealth Games champion and Diamond Trophy winner. Very exciting talent in what has been a, a wonderful event this year. Abdurrahman Samba, as Tom said, has been laying down a marker to the rest of the opposition and uh, we'll just wait and see if anyone can catch him. But we are so close now to the two Diamond League finals in Zurich and Brussels. There's the Birmingham Diamond League on the 18th of August that will be here before too long. But uh, do keep up to date with what's happening in the Diamond League on social media and on our YouTube channel. For now, though, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. There'll be another one out next Tuesday, and I'll speak to you then. Mm-hmm.